Hey guys, it's Keith. I'm back to record the, maybe the rest, maybe not, of my ballot for the California midterm elections here, November 2022. I've covered the propositions, which are probably the most interesting um, topics to be looking at and voting on. But now I want to cover the rest. There are some local measures that are akin to propositions, or rather propositions are akin to measures. And then there are a lot of actual um, elected offices to go through. And it's really impossible to go through all of these. There are <laughs> 98 circles to fill in on the ballot. That's not totally true. There are somewhere between 60 and, yeah, somewhere around 60 closer. But there are 98 things to vote for in California, depending on where you live. You know, there's just one real U.S. representative based on your district, really, but there are 17 open offices. I was really hoping to cover all 17 of these races, but it's just too much to do. I've focused on my own election, and I know who I'll vote for for that. But it's hard for me to advise everybody on that and it's not really the point when it's come when it comes down to it i was trying to structure how to do this exactly and i think it's just more important to go through guiding principles and to talk through some of my decisions and why i've chosen what i've chosen as i've done with the propositions and hopefully if you uh are inspired in any way by how i'm thinking through this stuff you can apply it to your own specific situation. And obviously, I intend that to be the case for this podcast in general. Of course, so many of you don't live in California, let alone Los Angeles. But I hope that these, uh, this way of thinking through citizenship and voting responsibility can apply to whomever you might be in any situation. Case in point, you know, I was with friends last night. We were talking through a lot of this stuff. And I just realized that a lot of people, they might take their duty to vote somewhat seriously, but they don't take the process itself that seriously. I mean, it's a hassle, isn't it? I mean, I've spent hours going through this, and it's like, it's not really what I want to be doing with my time. And then I end up getting actually invested somewhat emotionally in these races, which I don't really want to do because a lot of these uh, votes that I cast will lose or rather, uh, well, I suppose I'll leave it at that um, despite its poor English <laughs> structure of that sentence. Um, you know, there's some amount of like acceptance for what is going to happen you know, living in California, for instance, I know that this is an extremely progressive state run by Democrats, and I'm not opposed to Democrats, especially on the national level, or rather I should say the federal level, since the U.S. is not one nation in a technical sense. It's many nations or people groups under one collective structure. It's a union of states. Um, so on this federal level, I support Democrats, by and large. I've never voted for a Republican president, and I can't imagine that I would. Um, but it depends, because fundamentally, I believe in balance. 
I believe in balance. And especially as I'm researching a lot of this stuff, I'm not very impressed by the state of things in this state, and it's run by Democrats. So I have really no problem voting for a conservative candidate in an extremely progressive state because it might be valuable to get a different perspective in there, to get a different um, course of action, to try something new. You know what I mean? So when I'm reading about a lot of these candidates, I'm I'm kind of into it when they have something else to offer, you know, and they're they're uh, they're they're not saying the same old thing that they think the voters just want to hear, which I think so many Democrats lean on these days. So getting into it, I want to go through the ballot um, kind of in order um, because it's just a decent way to do it. And I was trying some other things before erasing uh, some previous efforts at this podcast. And I just want to just go through it the way it's laid out for me. It'll just simplify it for me and we'll see how far I get. So the first thing is to vote for a U.S. senator, and that is a big one, um, the biggest, you could argue, because it's on that federal U.S. country-level stage. Every state gets two senators, and uh, California has a senior senator, Dianne Feinstein, and a junior senator, Alex Padilla. And Padilla is running for re-election. It's a little strange because he's... it's um. There are, two, there are two boxes on the ballot for one race, and I'm a little confused by that. Basically, it's a six-year term, and let me just read to you this language. It says, right, there are two U.S. Senate contests on this ballot, one for the regular six-year term ending in January 3rd, 2029, and one for the remainder of the current term ending January 3rd, 2023. That's only like three months away. Like, why are we voting on that? Just let Padilla finish that term. I, You know, California has a lot wrong with it in terms of process, and the, the recall thing is kind of one of them. Um, I'm not really sure why Alex Padilla has to be on the ballot for this unexpired term ending this January, this coming January, but he is. Um, and obviously... Well, I don't know about obviously. I guess somebody like me could feasibly vote for Padilla to finish this term so as to not cause too much confusion and, you know, mess with the transition. And then his opponent is Mark Moiser, who's a Republican constitutional attorney. And I was looking at their Twitters first, and I have to say, like, maybe this won't shock you, dear listener, but I am not progressive on social issues. I am quite sick of woke politics and all the virtue signaling that happens on Twitter from politicians. So Alex Padilla really kind of turns me off, frankly, um, because his Twitter is all about, you know, racial stuff and like um, this kind of, you know, language of equity and all that. And I just, I have very little tolerance for that. Whereas Mark Moiser is a much more like grounded guy that's talking about you know why are we spending so much on ukraine and not with our own country which you know i don't i'm not saying i even agree with that but it's like that's what you should be talking about as a politician in my opinion like that's an interesting discussion to have um even listening to mark moiser online like 
seems like a fair enough decent guy, but I do want a Democrat in the Senate from California. I think that it's it's pretty important that California has two Democrats because I really loathe the Republican Party on a national level. And it's very, very important that the Democrats don't lose seats to Republicans in the Senate. And it would be kind of a travesty for California to replace one of theirs with a Republican. Now, that's politics, you know, and I don't really like thinking in those political terms. I would much rather just focus on policy and who best represents me. But in the case of a U.S. senator, I do support Alex Padilla. And he doesn't really bother me that much. You know, his Twitter is one thing, but like listening to him speak on the news and the kind of things he's saying on a federal level, bringing attention to California's homelessness especially, I think is important. And if he can help to get funding from the U.S. government to deal with California's crisis, which is really a, you know, so what, like a, let's say a national crisis, I think that's cool. So he has my vote. Um, I am reluctant to vote for him because I'm just kind of annoyed with Democrats. But as an independent person, it's not like I'm rushing to vote for Republicans instead. So on this national level, Alex Padilla has my vote for senator. Moving on, the probably biggest vote on this ballot is for L.A. mayor. And this one is actually very fun, and I'm excited to to vote for Rick Caruso. And he's kind of been portrayed as the conservative one in this race, which I don't think is fair. There are no conservatives running in Los Angeles, to be clear. This is an extremely, you know, left of center city. And Republicans don't really stand a chance here. So it's not really an issue of Democrat versus Republican, liberal versus conservative. It's really an issue of excessive compassion versus sensibility. And I'm basically voting for the more sensible candidate who's less radical left. So Caruso is a good example. He's a Democrat. That's like who he would vote for on a federal scale. He would, he'd be a Biden supporter, not a Trump supporter. They both would be. Karen Bass definitely would be. She's a lifelong Democrat. She's quite frankly a career politician in this Democratic machine, which I abhor. I think the Democrats don't deserve the, the kind of presumed support that Californians give them, to be honest. And that's kind of my thesis here that I'm challenging. Just because you are a Democrat or are progressive and the more left-leaning candidate doesn't mean that you get my vote and I hope not your vote either because like what is that that's just tribal that's just saying like oh let's just follow this party line and I really want to urge people to not just vote based on what a political party tells you to do because political parties aren't to be trusted they're not to be trusted feel like George Washington saying this over here. I mean, political parties are not good things. You know, the Democrats have screwed over Bernie Sanders and other candidates. This big machine is not a force for good. It's just as corrupt as the Republicans possibly. I mean, I don't know about just as corrupt, but it's corrupt with big donor money and 
you know, con- conflicts of interest. So I think Karen Bass is part of that system. I watched the debate between Rick Caruso and Bass, and I was very, um, I was very inspired by Caruso. I like him. I think he's a good guy. Now he's a business developer. He's also a nonprofit leader. It's easy for my progressive friends to attack him because he's just some old white guy, even though he's like, you know, a family of immigrants from Italy. Um, You know, he's just the white guy versus a black woman. If you want to play it like that, you know, that's your prerogative. But I would rather look at the issues and what they're aiming to do. And, you know, we didn't even talk about it in my last episode on the propositions because somehow homelessness doesn't come up in those propositions except for minorly in the um, fine print of one proposition in terms of funding. Um, but homelessness, let it be known, is the biggest issue to Californians right now, to Angelinos anyway. And you could possibly link crime with that, you know, the rise of crime. But essentially people are upset that things are chaotic. Things are falling apart. That's what it looks like. It looks like society is crumbling. That's what the vibe is. And it's not cool. So in my opinion, I would rather support pragmatic solutions and perhaps even out-of-the-box thinking and perhaps even some of this like Trumpian clean up the swamp language, frankly. I'd rather support that than to continue just staying loyal to the Democratic Party, so to speak, to just leaning as left as, as possible. It's not getting us anywhere in California. It's not help. It's not good. Like it's bad for governance to be too ideological, leaning too far one direction and to double down on plans and policies that aren't working. And a big one like homelessness, I think, you know, I'm, I've accrued a lot of these like mailers and flyers and like, you know, political ads in the mail. Um, and I see them on TV here and there. Um, Rick Russo was the first one to actually use the words drug rehabilitation and mental health in his discussions of a homelessness policy. He was the first one that I've seen do that, which is so vital. And perhaps you've heard me on this podcast talk before about how homelessness is this multi-pronged beast that cannot be separated from these underlying root causes. Now, Karen Bass talks about root causes as well, but she also loves the phrase houselessness, the unhoused, and how housing is really the key and how we just need to build more houses. Now, our last mayor, our current mayor, Eric Garcetti, he's also like that. And the New York Times ran a really great article that I highly recommend Maybe I can find it here. Yeah, here it is. It's entitled, The Way Los Angeles is Trying to Solve Homelessness is Absolutely Insane by Ezra Klein, the Vox guy. Uh, Absolutely insane is in quotes. That must be a poll quote from somebody describing the situation. You know, he, this is a long article, but it's well worth reading if you look it up. He outlines how our current government, run by Democrats, basically fetishizes this concept that people just need homes and that's like basically the the problem and we have like these huge encampments in LA in various parts specifically in like super nice desirable areas like in my neighborhood of Echo Park you know they had taken over the lake 
I podcasted about that if you want to go listen to it. But they also took over Venice Beach so that, you know, this is like a very touristy, bustling, fun area. Um, if you go there in the last five years, you would just see tent after tent after tent, like right where the boardwalk and the beach meet. It was just taken over by tents, which I find like unacceptable. And basically the current government just decided, okay, we should just build housing units for these people because that's clearly the problem. Never mind that they need real attention for their schizophrenia and their meth addictions. You know, I'm not saying that's every single one, but I am saying by and large that that is the case. Karen Bass, of course, wants to point toward like somebody like you or I who just might fall down on our luck and needs really, you know, long-term support to make sure that we don't fall through the cracks and end up on the streets. That is 10% of homelessness here tops. The by and large vast majority of homelessness is chronic, sick homelessness. And Rick Caruso proposes shelters to immediately get people off the streets, which I am for. Like, I don't want to sit around and wait for like, you know, underlying racial inequality or something like this, some broad, meaningless term to deal with homelessness. Like we need to just deal with it immediately because because of this concept that's not used enough, which is the commons. Venice Beach belongs to the public. It's a common good for people to go to the beach. Same with Elka Park Lake. Same with every sidewalk or business district in every city of the of the world. It belongs to everybody equally. You can sit on a bench for the, you know, for the 10 minutes to chat or even 30 or hour to have your lunch and whatever, and then you move on and someone else gets to sit on that same bench and you leave it in good order. That's how it works. That's like the public social contract that we all abide by. And if you don't abide by that, it is tantamount to crime, quite frankly, you know, like crime is such this bad word, like we can't criminalize the houseless. It's not a crime to be so impoverished that you end up on the streets. Well, fair enough. But loitering is a misdemeanor, like just sitting around in front of a 7-Eleven taunting people that come in and out. It's not cool. And the way that we make it clear as a society that it's not cool is that we criminalize it. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be thrown in jail forever or even killed or something just because of that, but it is not allowed, and a police officer should be able to come by and tell you that you have to stop. And I'm just, frankly, sick of this, like, bleeding heart, excessive compassion toward homelessness, and I just hear it from basically half of the politicians on this ballot. So I've gone through and, like, just compared, you know, like, which one of these candidates you know, like in the next category for Los Angeles uh, city attorney, between Heidi Feldstein Soto and Faisal Gill, which one of them talks sense and which one of them is overly compassionate and radical? And the answer is that Ms. Soto talks sense. She's a neighborhood council member and attorney, and she's very sensible. She's from Puerto Rico, but she's been living in LA for 40 years, and I really like how she talks. I went onto her website and she just has smart things to say as an attorney and as something that cares about her city. And a pull quote I liked of hers is that, no one has the right to privatize our public spaces for their own use. And I just cannot agree more with that. 
Like, you don't get to just take over a sidewalk and throw a tent on it and say it's yours now and then get mad when people are, like, stepping over it and then harassing them and, like, threatening people. Like, it's not cool for anybody. Whereas Faisal Gill says, I would not prosecute somebody simply for being houseless. It's just, like, pure apologia, you know, and I just can't handle that anymore. So I'm really hoping, and I do believe that the majority of sensible Angelinos agree with me and that Heidi Feldstein Soda will win. And the same with Rick Caruso. He has been leading the way this whole time, but it is close now and it's getting dirty as we get closer and closer to election day. I am afraid of Karen Bass winning in the end. Karen Bass has admitted very clearly on record that she will not solve homelessness within her four years of office and that it's not even possible because in her opinion, it's such a root problem that runs so deep that you just can't solve it and that we just have to accept it. And I just think that's wrong. Obviously, the conditions that lead to homelessness cannot be solved right away. You know, the addiction issues, the lack of mental health given our broken healthcare system in this country, those kind of things are very, very hard to solve. But that doesn't mean that we just have to accept that people sleep on the streets. You know, I'm tired of hearing like, Jails are so evil, we can't put them in jail. Okay, don't put them in jail. Why are shelters so bad? There's this whole spiel like, um, our shelters have become so rotten and dangerous that people don't want to go to them. Well, too bad. Make them nicer. How about that? How about taking all this money that we're raising for all this stuff? And instead of building high rises in Venice Beach, which is an insanely stupid goal that as Recline outlines, given all the red tape that you have to climb through, Instead of doing that, why not rehabilitate the facilities that we need to put people into? Because people do need to be put into facilities and they can be nice. It doesn't have to be this sort of like, you know, I say this as like a a liberty first kind of guy. Like I don't want my liberties taken away from me and I would really resent being put into a facility or a jail or a shelter against my will. But quite frankly, that's why I live and abide by basic tenets of responsibility, of personal responsibility. If someone doesn't do that, they don't, they're not allowed to just terrorize and take over public spaces. They don't have a right to do that. We have a right to protect the commons. And so I support politicians that care about that. I do not support politicians that just virtue signal how caring they are for the underprivileged and unfortunate. I don't have time for that anymore. You know, like that conversation has been long past. We are at a crisis point. Luckily, both of these mayoral candidates recognize that this is a time of crisis and they will both declare a state of emergency in the city as soon as they're elected, which I don't know why Garcetti hasn't done that. I mean, especially with the pandemic looming. So, yeah, this is how I feel about it. Um, This applies to the city controller as well. Kenneth Maya is overly compassionate. He's, like, angry at the system and just wants to, like... I mean, I get the sense that people like this just want to burn everything down. It's like this Antifa attitude. Like, you're running for office. You can't want to burn it all down. Like, the whole point of a government is to function. Like, talk, just talk about reform and making things work better, which his opponent, Paul Koretz, does. He's a sensible guy. And I like his vibe. He's just like a very normy, middle-aged dude, you know? And it makes sense that he 
wins for controller. So that's what I'm endorsing. For city council, um, I just, you know, I haven't had time to to investigate the other candidates, but I've investigated my candidate, and he is my current city councilman. He's Mitch O'Farrell, and he just has a very broad agenda. I would say it's too broad. He's, like, definitely a leftist. He's talking about how he wants, like, all electric cars in L.A. at some point and how we have to... Uh, we do have to be compassionate about homelessness and that it's a very root cause kind of thing. But he's at least done stuff about it since I've been living here. He did sweep Echo Park Lake of homelessness. Now, did that solve the problem? No. They've just moved around my neighborhood. I still see them starting up new encampments. But they don't last too long, which I like. I like that. Like, I'd rather move them all around the city every week or every day than let them just start their own little towns within the city. That's not acceptable. Whereas his opponent, Hugo Soto Martinez, he wants to end sweeps. He doesn't want anything like what happened at Echo Park Lake or in Venice. Why not? You think it's so wrong to serve and protect the citizens, the homeowners, the renters right around that area? Like, I, I don't accept that I have to share my plot of land with a tense city. It's not acceptable to me, you know? So figure out how to make shelters and institutions better. You know, let's bring back these, like, mental institutions that have good social workers in them, that have good drugs and rehabilitation programs for people addicted, people suffering from, you know, true mental illness that needs regular medication. Like, I don't understand why that's so complicated for people to do. And we're not even really talking about that because people like Hugo Soto Martinez are talking about how it's inhumane to just round up and sweep under the rug the, you know, the blights of society. It's not inhumane. It's inhumane to let them stay on the street. That's inhumane. It's no way to live. Like these tent cities are terrorized within themselves by pernicious behavior. You know, a good amount of them are women. These women are being assaulted. You know, this is not a good scene to let happen and let fester in our cities. So we have to put them in shelters. End of story. Like, we can talk about long-term housing all we want. Like, tomorrow we have to put them in shelters. Maybe in a year they can, like, work their way into, you know, assisted living facilities and then independent living facilities. I mean, I, I wish that for people. I hope that people get better. You know, when I lived in New York City on State Street in Brooklyn. On my block at the corner was a halfway home. I don't know if that word is is passe now, but it was like this place where people struggling with addiction and mental illness were living in a building together that was, I presume, um, looked after and you know run by social workers and caretakers and whatnot. These these guys shared a kitchen, you know. They might have shared a bathroom. They might have even, like, slept in dorm rooms. Or they had their own rooms, or maybe they had their own little apartments in each one. But it's it's highly unrealistic to think that your average person on the street can just, like, live a normal life if only they were given a studio apartment. I think that's insane. It's an insane thing to, like, think could happen. I mean, not yet. We We end up conflating also, like, low-income housing with housing the poor or housing the homeless like low-income housing is one thing 
I support, you know, rent stabilizations and rent control and making sure that within a development, a certain percentage of those units are affordable for like, um, not a minimum wage worker. That's, in, that's not, not likely ever possible because minimum wage isn't meant to like, <laughs> who, who earns minimum wage? A 20 year old, maybe they've already probably gotten a raise. You know what I mean? People have roommates. People live with each other. Like you're not supposed to afford your own place on minimum wage. That's not what it's designed to do. You know, like I, I lived with roommates until I was 33 years old. It's insane to think that like I should be allowed or I should be able to rent my own studio apartment in New York City or Los Angeles on a really, really low salary. It's just not realistic. Move into a different city, not one of the top five in the country if you want to do that. So I just hate this like leftist argument that we have to raise the minimum wage so that you can like raise a family on it or pay for your own house on it. Like, no, that's not what minimum wage is for. Minimum wage is to gain experience. You know, like that's where you start at 16 years old and you move up pretty quickly. Like it's not hard to get a raise at a job. You're, you don't stay minimum wage very long, you know? And it's not bad to have housemates, you know, like people should live together. Why are we, de why, I don't know. It's like, why are we even acting as if that's so bad? So I just, I just can't stand these like progressive radical leftists that say stuff like, and you're running to run my city. You're like, you think that you should run LA? Like LA is a cesspool right now because of people like you. The next group of votes on the ballot are for the Los Angeles Community College Board of Trustees. I don't want to get into all those. Uh, let's move on to the state Senate. This is like the U.S. Senate, but just for California, and it's represented by districts. I'm in the 26th district, which includes all of Echo Park and Silver Lake, which is nice because oftentimes a line runs through these when... These are gerrymandered on other maps that I've been looking at, you know, for various municipal districting. You know, gerrymandering is a real thing, and it's really dumb how, you know, it's not it's not partisan. Um, Democrats clearly running the state have done it a lot. I don't know why. Like, don't cut through neighborhoods. Don't run a line down a street so that my neighbor and I are different voting blocks. It doesn't make any sense. Um, anyways, so this race is interesting you know like i i like both of these women they're both latino women um you know i i don't really know what to say here i've been looking at their websites and what their um their issues and their their stances we have maria elena Dorazzo, and we have claudia agras and maria elena Dorazzo. um her website's a little more slick, you know, she stands with Oprah and Michelle Obama. Um, I decided to follow Cesar Chavez's example and dedicate myself to a life empowering others. I've won affordable health care for thousands of families. I want every California to have a shot at college education, affordable like I had. You know, she's likable. Um, she's an older woman. She's had a life of activism. I don't really know what that means, but, you know decades as a leader of, of revived labor movements, you know, all these like impressive endorsements, U.S. Senator Kamala Harris, Mayor Garcetti, Governor Jerry Brown, 
I mean, I don't really, this doesn't matter too much to me because like I've said, like I'm pretty skeptical of establishment politics. Um, she does seem more establishment of the two candidates, but that's not necessarily bad either. Obviously that can mean competency as well. Um, her opponent is uh, Claudia um, Agraz and her key issues are public safety, supporting businesses, lower gas prices and taxes, protect, protect parental rights. Um, she has an Abe Lincoln quote here. No man is good enough to govern another man. So that's a typo. Without the other's consent. Um, she says, I'm a community leader in native Angelino. I'm an immigrant that came to the U.S. from Mexico at age three. Um, she's a Republican as well. Um, whereas Maria Elena Tirato is a Democrat, but like, that doesn't mean much to me. And like they, they seem somewhat equivalent in terms of their vibe to me. Now it's just like Republicans care a little bit more about taxes and safety and business regulations. And Democrats care a little bit more about like the social stuff. And I have to say, like, in this sense, I care more about taxes and safer streets than I do about like activist causes these days but it's tricky like like I've said I feel more conservative the closer to my own house that you get I feel more uh, progressive the more global you get like I do believe in these things on a global level right like I believe in a more uh, equitable planet so when you're talking about the Senate of this state, it's kind of this in-between where I could easily be persuaded one direction or another. And I'm not going to make a declaration yet for this one. I'm going to study it a little longer, but I don't think you could go wrong either way. Incidentally and unsurprisingly, Maria Elena Terrazzo, I'm looking up on LAist and CalMatters websites, you know, she's raised, she's fundraised a ton more money um so she's likely she'll likely win as the establishment pick and you know that's fine but i still want to research it a bit more for myself so moving on to a member of the state assembly kind of akin to the u.s house of representatives this is choosing our representative on the state level in a more granular way i'm part of the 52nd district there are 24 six times four, <laughs> man, um, there are a lot of races happening. Um, and I can't go into all of them. So I'm just going to use mine as an example. If you thought the last two candidates were similar, it's even more of the same now, because it's two Democrats, both quite progressive, both, again, Latina women, Hispanic women. Um, and so again, it's probably like a difference without a distinction, to be honest. Um, Wendy Carrillo has a more polished website and she's earned more money in through fund fundraising. And she looks very likable. Um, you know, she's, you know, just like a middle-aged, somewhat um, pudgy, sweet looking woman. And a lot of the taglines here, it's like leading the fight for clean air, water and open space. That's great. 
progressive Democrat advocating for equity justice. That's less great to me. Champion for women's productive, reproductive freedoms. Fine. Um, you know, she has a lot of like, you know, she's engaged with the community and all this. It looks fine, right? Her little tag here is, Dear friends, over the last five years, we have made great strides in advancing the issues that matter to all Californians, with equity, justice, and opportunity being our driving values. I am proud of my record to expand paid sick leave, to stand with working men and women for better pay and working conditions, to support small businesses with access to resources, and to combat climate change. You know, a lot of that sounds good. It's like, you know, you're representing a small district of Los Angeles to think that you're like combating climate change. I don't know, like, or like justice and equity and stuff. Like, I don't really need to hear this, you know, like it kind of goes without saying. And I just, I get turned off that leftists are so obsessed with these like talking points about grandeur and like saving the world and stuff like I don't know I just don't like that I have to say like I just don't like that but I'm not holding it against her it's just kind of the way it, it the game is played nowadays Mia Livas Porter is her um challenger um she's basically <laughs> they look the exact same to me I mean you know they really they're both like she's a little younger um but she also looks sweet, and she describes herself as a mama bear, a mother, gun violence survivor, activist, community organizer, and a progressive Democrat running to represent the 52nd District. Mia continues to tirelessly fight for gun violence prevention, working to strengthen our public schools and advocating for the Green New Deal, single-payer health care, and the dignity of our unhoused neighbors. It's kind of like they like took the progressive agenda and divided it in half, you know? So, like, she's talking about the unhoused and the Green New Deal and gun violence, you know, <laughs> whereas uh, Wendy Carrillo was talking about <laughs> equity, climate change, um, you know, better pay and working conditions, smart small businesses. Like, I kind of feel like there's a little more substance to Wendy. So maybe that's the way I'm leaning. But, you know, let this be, um, let's take this for what it's worth. These are the women. Two of the four women I've just described will be representing me in the state of California, which is, I mean, do I even feel represented? I mean, not really, but a little. I mean, it's not like I feel alienated, but I mean, that's, that's where I live, right? This is just like default politics as usual where I live. So I want to put that in perspective for people that think I come across as somehow conservative or something. It's because this is where I this is what I'm surrounded with. And it's like not new. Before this I was living in Neukölln, Berlin. That was kind of the same. And before that it was like a district in Brooklyn, New York. And like I'm just so accustomed to being in these bubbles where we just have to you know say these kind of things and I'm sick of it frankly. It's just not what matters to me. What matters to me is like, you know, declaring a state of emergency on homelessness, you know, giving sheriffs and police officers the ability to do their jobs against crime, um, 
you know, to end these COVID lockdown restrictions, which I'm sick of, which like are just now about to expire. And Governor Newsom is talking about extending them, which is absolutely insane to me. Um, yeah, so like there are just other things that I care about that, you know, I just don't feel like it's what we're talking about. But I guess th we're getting a little too specific here, you know, with my state senator and state assembly person. I think the next one will open and back up. The United States Representative 30th District. So I don't know why they put this under city local. This should definitely be um, at the front along with the US Senator because like they're both part of the federal Congress. I don't know why the US representative is listed here under city local. I mean, it's a more granular office. There's a lot more of them than senators, but still this is like for sending them to DC. Um, and I'm going to be voting for our incumbent for my district, the 30th, Adam B. Schiff. You know, just a note about gerrymandering again, I was looking at this district, you know, it's really broad. It's really gerrymandered and cut through Echo Park. It's, um, you know, and includes Glendale and uh, Burbank into the valley. It excludes my neighbors that are like, just below the highway from me. Um, so it's a little funny, like that we're represented by different people, some neighbor friends of mine and I. But in any case, Adam Schiff is a very sensible leftist who speaks in generically good ways. Um, you know, I like him. Um, he's being challenged by an interesting person on the ballot. Their name is written the letter G, and then quotes, maybe a girl, M-A-E-B-E, -E, like the name, a period girl, last name, unquotes, Pudlow. So G Pudlow goes by maybe a girl, and it's a drag queen. So she's a drag queen, and she's a Silver Lake neighborhood councilwoman. Um, her website's pretty interesting because it's like really... <laughs> Um, I don't know how to put it. Well, I'll just read it to you. Let me find it here. I have so many damn tabs open here. Okay. Maybe for Congress 2022, progressive Democrat for California's 30th. Vote yes on maybe if you believe in universal health care, housing for all, education for all, environmental justice, racial justice, LGBTQIA rights, reproductive rights, abolishing ICE, no more wars. So it's like, just like the most boilerplate, progressive, far leftist policy agenda. And um, I'm not against all this stuff. You know, I'm definitely for universal health care. Um, that alone will keep me being a Democrat forever, probably. Or not a Democrat, sorry, I'm unaffiliated. But like left of center in this country, um, that'll be, that's like one of my biggest platform issues, you know. So I definitely don't agree with like, the Republican pro-business HMO turmoil that we're all in. Um, you know, the my saga with my broken foot going from Germany back to California and having to deal with doctors and stuff, like, it really highlights how big of a problem this is in, in the USA, but also in California. So I, I, I support leftists on this, on this issue. So it's like, if you're running for Congress, that's a federal body in dc 
that is the kind of thing I want you to care about. Like, don't talk to me about universal healthcare if you're running for like the board of supervisors in LA County or something, because it's like, you won't do anything about that. But in Congress, you could, right? Like that's a good vote for something that Joe Biden could roll out, you know? So I'm um, amenable to that. But of course, um, Adam Schiff, he also says that on his website, like he's also a leftist and um, I like him. He's just a little more like um, buttoned down about it. He's more moderate. But his website is great. And he even like highlights the Armenian genocide as a cause because he represents Glendale, which is like the greatest concentration of Armenians outside of the country of Armenia in the world. It might even be bigger when I think about it. But um, yeah, I, I feel heard by him. So that's cool. On the federal level, I like that Adam Schiff is my representative so that's good. All right, let's move on to some actual policy stuff again and away from uh, the candidates for a second. Um, I am running out of time. This will be a little longer of, a, of an episode, I guess, because I do want to get to the, the California um, statewide positions. But to just go through the, um, the measures on a local level, I won't spend too much time on these, but and I actually need to spend more time for myself, to be honest, because they're the devil's in the details and I need to get into the weeds on these. Um, LA city general municipal election measure LH authorization for additional low income housing proposition LH. I'll read you the language as it's written on the ballot. Shall a measure authorizing public entities in the city of LA to develop, construct or acquire up to 5,000 additional units of low income rental housing in each council district to address homelessness and affordable housing needs subject to availability of funding and city development requirements be approved? Yes or no? And you know, this one came up with my friends last night and it's like, yeah, who's not against, who's against housing? But you know, today, just in time, I received this voter info pa uh, pamphlet specifically for just these three ballot measures, LH, SP, and ULA. And I've been reading about LH. It's like quite long to slog through all this and I won't waste your time, but some key things to mention are that we already have had this proposal and we've already approved 3,500 units to deal with this problem. Um, the situation is that um, that 35,000 cap is getting approached by a lot of the city council districts. So they want to raise it from 50,000 citywide to 75,000 citywide. Um, I think I will be voting no on this, believe it or not, because like I've said, I don't think that you just solve homelessness with more housing. And I don't think the answer is just for the city to buy more houses. Like, I think that's like just not a reasonable goal to solve homelessness. Like if you said something like, take this money, um, authorize it to take some of these units and, um, transition them into offices and clinics where people can go to for clean needles and social work and a hug, stuff like that, you know, like, sh or shelters, like, I would be way more interested. But I'm tired of, like, seeing LA spend a historically high amount of money 
on these pie in the sky plans to just build houses for every homeless person. Like it's such a stupid idea that we're chasing. I just wanna stop doing that. Okay, next measure, SP, Parks and Recreational Facilities, Parcel Tax. Shall an ordinance providing funding for parks, recreational centers, pools, playgrounds, waterways, beaches, green spaces, open spaces, childcare, and other facilities, and increasing park equity in the city of LA through a tax of 0.08414 per square foot on improved parcels reduced to 0.0222 upon completion of certain programs or in 30 years with citizen oversight and exemptions for low-income houses generating approximately $227 million annually be adopted. Whew. So this is a <laughs> this is a property tax, or more accurately, a parcel tax. The difference being that a parcel tax doesn't take into account the value of your home, whereas a property tax does. So this is kind of like a flat tax on land, which upsets poor landowners because compared to like a you know a, a millionaire billionaire mansion land over, it's like. How can you think of those in the same way, right? Um, yeah, and it takes that money, this parcel tax, and it applies it only to parks and recreational facilities. Our parks and recreational facilities are being taken over by homelessness. Why would we spend money on new parks and stuff when we can't even clean up our parks now? I mean, we are cleaning them up. I shouldn't. I shouldn't sound so negative about it. Um, I'm skeptical about this. I mean, it's not the worst. I wouldn't be too upset either way. Um, interestingly enough, you know, I'm looking at um, this image my friend sent me, which is the Progressive Voting Guide. They vote no on this, which is surprising. I'm not sure why the progressives would want to vote no on this. But I'm inclined to also vote no because, you know, I, I'm not against property taxes, but I do think it should be based more on the value of the home and not just the size of the plot or just having a plot at all. And I just don't really care to see money spent on parks and recreation. I just don't really care about that. Like, I haven't really... Aside from Echo Park Lake that I've spent a lot of time talking about, Griffith Park is great already. It doesn't really need anything. Um, there's a lot of parks near me. Um, the dog park. Um, <laughs> you know, there's other nice little parks. Um, Hermosa uh, Historic Park, um, LA Historic Park. Um, they're doing fine. I don't really see a need to raise property taxes in order to cover that specifically. Again, like I just, I'm dying to read some language in these in, on this ballot that allocates money specifically for homeless shelters and improving conditions of shelters and, you know, improving conditions of the jails and even the prisons. Like, why aren't we doing that? I don't understand why we're not doing that. It's crazy to me that that's not even on here. Okay, next measure, ULA. Um, funding for affordable housing and tenant assistance programs through a tax on real property transfers over 5 million initiative ordinance ULA shall an ordinance funding and authorizing affordable housing programs and resources for tenants at risk of homelessness through a 4% tax on sales slash transfers of real property exceeding 5 million and 5.5% on properties of 10 million or more with exceptions 
until ended by voters, generating approximately 600 million to 1.1 billion annually be adopted. So this is more like it. It's like a property tax specifically on mansions. It's, cut, it's called the mansion tax. So it's like on super high-end housing that's sold. So in the sale of the property, there's a tax on that sale of around 5% that goes specifically to homelessness programs. It says affordable housing programs and resources for tenants at risk of homelessness. So that's not specifically to build houses for the homeless. That's cool. I like that the language is a little vague, so it leaves room for like other kinds of programs. I will probably vote yes on this one because it's good, in my opinion. It's kind of a Robin Hood idea to tax the very, very rich to help the very poor through real programs. So I like the wording of that one, and I'll be voting yes on it. Okay, um, one final one um, that's really specific to LA. Uh, Los Angeles Community College District Safety Repair Job Training Measure to repair, upgrade, and upgrade local community colleges, classrooms, water pipes, sewer, gas lines, technology, science labs for nurses, paramedics, firefighters, veterans, prepare students for jobs, university transfer, remove asbestos, lead paint, acquire construct, repair facilities, sites, equipment, shall LA community college districts measure authorizing 5.3 billion in bonds at legal rates, levying $25 per 100,000 of assessed valuation, generating 345 million annually while bonds are outstanding, be adopted, requiring oversight, all funds used locally. I think so. This is, again, a property tax to help the LA Community College District basically modernize. I don't. I haven't seen documentaries on this. Um, I have to take them at their word that these repairs are really necessary. I've read a little bit about it, and it does sound like they are. This has also been on the ballot multiple times, and LA keeps saying no, which is a little sad. It's like, I don't know, like, it's hard to know how to earmark money and where it all goes. The the education budget in California is already very, very large. Why property owners need to pay for science lab upgrades is a little unclear to me. But I'd be willing to. You know, $25 per 100000 That means for a million-dollar home, it's 150 bucks. You know, I think it's... I don't know. I, I Maybe it's fair. Maybe it's not. This is a, a trickier one than the last one. They are similar. Okay, I'm going to get into the, before I get right into the big California races, I do want to speak to the sheriff of LA County, Alex Villanueva, who's being challenged by a guy called Robert Luna. This is a really interesting one, so I just have to talk about this for a second, and then I'm going to skip all the judges of the superior courts and stuff. Um, I've been trying to research this whole situation. There's a guy called Alex Villanueva. He's the current LA County sheriff. The sheriff is, like, way more powerful than any other police officer of a city. He kind of has dominion over the entire county, which is huge. And he's not, he doesn't have to answer to the mayor or to anybody. There is a board of supervisors that is trying to oust him because apparently he's been mired in scandals. Um, and I've been reading into these scandals, and it's hard to make much sense of them. I'm not sure how much meat there is to these scandals they are scandals and he might have done some bad things but basically the way i've seen it and i've listened to their debates as well the way i see it is that alex villanueva 
is a decent guy, but kind of like a lone, you know, a lone sheriff, you know, renegade kind of guy who's like taking law into his own hands, so to speak, you know, not literally, but like he's kind of like playing by his rules to do what he thinks is right. And there's a board of supervisors of five people who want to take him out. And there's even this like measure, county measure A, charter amendment providing authority to remove an elected sheriff for cause. Shall the measure amending the county of LA charter grant the board of supervisors authority to remove an elected sheriff from office, including a violation of law related to sheriff's duties, lawyer and order, This is like he's put there in place for a term and he's incumbent only to voters. And I kind of like that. And I actually think this is like one of these like crime drama movies or like Scorsese movies where there's like a real political machine trying to take him down and he's losing and he probably will get taken down. But listening to him talk and reading a lot of his like statements on policy, I like how he sounds a lot and I do actually trust him to quote clean up this town on his terms and not and I think he's just tired of everyone meddling and trying to have him do things the right way I like my perception of crime in the major cities of this country is that leftist far leftist bureaucrats are hand tying crime fighters from doing their jobs and I don't like that and I kind of suspect that this board of supervisors that's trying to take him down is like that. And they just they just don't like that he's working with them enough. He doesn't have to work with them. That's not his job is to work with them. His job is to fight crime. And fighting crime is a crazy, dangerous, messy business. But everything I've been reading about him, I have a sense that he's doing what he's got to do, quite frankly. I want to compare the answers of these two men running for this. So the question is, why do you think black people are arrested by the police at three times their share of the population? Does the department have a role in addressing this? So Alex Villanueva, the current guy who's under massive scrutiny, this is what he says. The numbers speak for themselves. Young black men are disproportionately represented as both victims and suspects in the criminal justice system. Everyone should have a role in addressing this. Families, communities, schools, local government, and yes, law enforcement. In fact, all of our elected leaders should take note of the growing extreme poverty and despair in many poor black and brown communities. Economic opportunity would greatly help reduce disparities in those who interact with law enforcement. My role as sheriff is to lead. I've taken on the homeless crisis for this very reason. Homelessness disproportionately impacts African-Americans. The political establishment does not seem to care. They have accepted five people a day dying on our streets. I'm willing to provide the leadership and to take the flack for doing it to end homelessness. Okay, like that's like just shooting from the, like that's just like honest, genuine, I don't know, that, that speaks authentically to me reading that. Versus Robert Luna. As a young Latino boy growing up in East LA, both my family and I experienced inequities. I am very cognizant of racial inequalities, and I believe that historically law enforcement has systematically treated communities of color differently, and specifically the black community. We must do better. 
To reduce discrimination, profiling, and unnecessary arrests, it is critical to hire law enforcement personnel who know and understand the people within our communities. Through my tenure as chief of police, I worked at every opportunity to ensure our police department reflected the diversity of our communities, including in recruitment, hiring, and promotions. As a result, when I left Long Beach, it was the most diverse it has ever been. I also directed mandatory training on cultural competency, racial sensitivity, and impact bias. So, like, I, it's not that what he says is bad, but it is annoying. Like, it's so political correctness. Like, I make sure I have to make sure I'm saying it all right. You know, like I want to just be very clear that I'm against racism and I'm anti-racist. Like, that's what it sounds like. It's like, look. Why are, like, I just appreciate Alex Villanueva's directness. The numbers speak for themselves. That's just how it is. Now, if you want to change how it is, let's do that. But it's my job to fight crime. You know what I mean? Like, I just really appreciate that about him. And I want to reiterate that actually it's Alex Villanueva who is the Democrat. He, like, says in his um, debate, and he points to his record as being a lifelong Democrat, but again, these are both sheriffs. These are both men running to be sheriff. So it's like you have to expect some amount of conservatism and um, roughness or harshness in their attitude, right? I mean, they live to fight crime. They're also both um, Hispanic American men. So, you know, I, I, I'm just watching this one. I have a feeling that he will be ousted and replaced and even that Measure A will pass and that the Board of Supervisors will have this authority to remove a sheriff if they don't like him. And I just, I don't like that. That speaks to corruption to me. That speaks to like excessive red tape and stuff. So it's too bad. Finally, there's a measure C, LA County Cannabis Business Tax Measure, um, enacting a tax in the unincorporated areas of LA to, on cannabis businesses at annual rates not to exceed $10 per square foot for cultivation and adjusted for inflation and a percentage of gross receipts for various cannabis businesses, including retail, 6%, da, da, da. This is a tax on cannabis sales and cultivation. And surprisingly, looking at the progressive voting guide, they're against this. It's insane to me that like progressives are against taxing cannabis. Like, isn't that one of the reasons why we legalized it is so that we could tax it and like fund all this, these houses that you want, you know, like, that, that guide is also against um, Proposition 31 that I mentioned last time, which was to um, legalize and tax not only gambling, but flavored tobacco. Like, progressives are against legal gambling and flavored tobacco, which is so weird to me. Like, why are progressives moralizing on this, being the moral police, and not taxing? I don't understand why you would not tax cannabis. That makes no sense to me. Okay, let's finally end... No, I'm at an hour. I'm going to stop. I'll do one more episode on this topic of elections that will cover the California general election, meaning the statewide governor and lieutenant governor and attorney general and stuff. All right, Kobe, time to walk you. Guys, until next time. Ciao.